0: Good evening, everybody, and welcome to a very,
1: <laughs> very special episode of Dragon Mark Symphony. Oh, no. Okay. I am usually your DM, Dylan, uh, here with my friends. Mm-hmm. Uh, for the past 40-odd <laughs> episodes, we have been playing through this campaign it's set in the world of Eberron, uh and as of the past week there we actually wrapped up the first major arc of the campaign and it only took us multiple years to do it so congrats That's to us. About that part. <laughs> um
2: God we're going to get like real deep
1: into that part <laughs> and a bunch of other stuff. Um because tonight is going to be something a little bit different. Uh now that we've you know we've gone through this long journey to reach to this point uh, I wanted to kind of take a moment to kind of unwind with everybody and kind of catch ourselves back up on everything that happened on the campaign so far, as well as open the floor to, you know, questions and observations and general feedback about, you know, how the game's been going so far. And there's also going to be a few uh, little, little games and challenges I'm going to throw your way, too, that have some uh, interesting bonuses as well as some potential uh, consequences. Uh, so everybody, be on your toes. Absolutely, I know you do. That's why I pack them in every bite. Uh, so definitely be ready for that as we uh, kind of get ourselves into it. I'm gonna start some nice, comfortable music. <laughs>
2: <Oops>. <laughs>
1: and I, sh- I, <laughs> I immediately, I have this is this is why I'm a bad DM for for the folks at home. I literally have three songs sitting in front of me, and I still managed to choose the wrong song. We've just started, yeah, and I yeah, immediately the picked the wrong song just by having I have I three in front of me.
2: I mean, the amount of times that I did the exact same. Thing, we're, <laughs> we're just gonna. <laughs>
0: mm-hmm.
3: We're just gonna. There we it go. It is That's perfectly justified song. until it's not.
0: And we're gonna. And forget. then we get the. There line. we go. And so. I don't know what I'm doing, but I,
1: and so I also don't want to do it. I'm afraid. I wanted to do this for a few reasons. Um It has been a while since we first began the campaign, and in the perspective of the game itself, everything has essentially happened over the course of like a week or so. Yeah, but of course, for movie. us, it's been a lot longer than that. So it's one of those things where. I, there's been several occasions throughout the campaign where I felt like the pacing of the game, largely due to my own fault, has made it really easy to just kind of lose information over time or for things to kind of happen and not really give you guys the opportunity to really like soak it in or like appreciate what's going on before it's immediately on to the next thing. Uh, so I wanted to give us an opportunity to kind of take a little breather here and just kind of go all the way back to the beginning and review everything and, uh, you know, just kind of talk about everything that's happened so far. So to begin with, what I'm curious about is before we even started the campaign, before we even got into our session zeros, mind you, um... Did you all have any expectations, kind of going into this campaign? You know, th- this was my first time DMing for this group. Uh, I had never done that before, uh, so I'm just curious if you guys had any like initial thoughts going in, sort of what you were hoping for or what you were expecting, or or anything of that
4: sort. I think say well, uh, like on my end as the most new person to this group uh, I kind of just came in as very much as much of a blank slate kind of uh, as I could be just because I was like I don't know what to anticipate I don't know what the dynamic of the group really is outside of you know what I've bits and pieces that I've picked up from uh, McKenna but um, Mm. yeah I mean I, I also like to come into this stuff with like like I don't want to set expectations and then mm-hmm. you know then be disappointed at the expectations that I set without any feedback from anyone else and then be like, oh well that didn't that didn't do what I individually was thinking that I wanted this to go like it's like no just roll the punches it's what to me it like at least d and d is just it's it's role play like you just you, roll with the punches. It's improv.
0: Mm.
2: Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I, I imagine you didn't necessarily... I don't know if you were necessarily expecting to die. Uh, <laughs> okay, well,
0: we'll get at to this. You know.
2: that.
4: At least then. That's, like that, at that, is, stage. that is entirely valid, but also <laughs> simultaneously, looking at it like retroactively even like immediately after was just like oh i totally was asking for it even though it was the very much highest damage roll possible that then just barely resulted in an instant kill it like i was a i'm a rogue going up to an enemy that is clearly very powerful With none of my allies nearby You were essentially Uh,
2: a rogue Picking a fight with a fighter
4: Yeah Basically
2: Uh, I mean I don't know like honestly like I had Very little especially with Like what I knew I was getting into with my With you know my character I don't really have like a Really strong like Concept of like I didn't really have a hugely Strong concept of how it was ever gonna work and especially in the sense of like a, like in a combat sense but that was you know for these shows especially that the big thing I had you know learned especially going through uh, embers has been the amount that that has to be be secondary because that inevitably was what led to a bunch of the issues that I had gone through with personal um so that was a big thing that i knew i was going into this campaign with was the you know the notion of not of you know realizing that like being on this side because embers was the first time that i was on this side like i was the player amongst generally this group or most of this group the only person Mm -hmm. that would have that was inherently new at the start of embers to me was mckenna um but um you know like generally it was the first time flipping that so now going from and so at least i could take parts of that experience when we started this and you know handing it over to dylan and being like all right like i get to just start hopefully with the lessons that I had learned kind of with the way that we seem to at least generally build a show campaign. Cause it's different than a normal one. <laughs> and so like, but I was actually inherently very pleasantly surprised. I, I talked to Dylan about this a little bit. Um, I was inherently very pleasantly surprised at how efficient I was, and then actually, again, it kind of became the opposite of what I was intending to fix. Where my problems started to become, I wasn't—I was no longer a hundred percent sure how I should behave and act in role play as a character.
1: Mm.
0: <laughs>
2: But I was really confident on what I could do in the in combat. I was so yeah. ready for anything. Yeah. Um And that's kind of been my like weird cause like but I think I think inherently going into part of that, I think it's kind of inevitably being resolved with the uh the changes that I'm making as a result of of essentially dealing with the fact that we will not have Nathaniel kind of going into the next section. <laughs> uh, and I think, honestly, a lot of those, issues, those RP issues and questions that I kind of have, because my thing was kind of always, yeah, like, <laughs> how much should I be acting like this, you know, mysterious fairy wizard, but then... Inherently still like a musical and kind of bard-like, how much should I be acting like a bard? Yeah. Uh and I think by making this move by essentially now becoming both, and just straight up being a multi-class, uh it will make it a lot easier to just be like I am both. That's <laughs> Um, and then just have a lot more confidence in that, uh, because yeah, like I feel like it was really tough to get to the. In some scenarios, it did feel a little tough to get into the playful side of like what, like being the, like bard, almost somewhat bard-like fairy, and I, I felt like I had to act a lot more like a wizard than I did a fairy, almost. But it was conducive okay. to the way that I had planned. Mm-hmm. But I did feel like and Franny... because of the way the, the time frame was that I generally had to be a little bit more serious than I more often than I was expecting.
1: <laughs> I get you. Yeah, and, and Franny, because you, I, I, def, I definitely felt from everybody kind of that sense, especially like the first few sessions of kind of getting into the shoes of your character a little more, which I expected, I anticipated that. Um, you were kind of the one from the get-go, I felt like, had a really strong grasp already of the characteristics of your character, not necessarily just the class, but, like, the mannerisms they had and how they acted. So, for you, like, coming into the game, was that something that you had, like, really planned far in advance, or did you have expectations yourself as far as, like... I'm going to come into the game. It's going to be like this, and I'm going to act this way. I know, I know exactly how I want to approach it. Or did you have, you know, sort of doubts in anything as well?
3: Oh yeah, absolutely. Uh, from the jump, I was disappointed. Uh the, the, the entire thing. Fair. Uh, right. <laughs> I'm kidding. Uh, you. We had the pleasure of playing a, a in this setting before with you as a DM, and during that time, I really enjoyed what you did. Um, and I think that's the first time we got to play with you in the Eberron setting gave me a real good insight as to how you like to DM these types of stories so I was like I gotta match this energy and uh, really work towards a character that will give you material in order to work with so um, I had an epiphany with Dak uh, with mannerisms that were very atypical to what I usually play Um in terms of speech mannerisms not being wanting to touch uh not having too much of a good understanding of the local culture stuff like that um and aside from that i just been finding myself having a lot of fun with uh the entire uh any loss in translation moments that uh mm-hmm. we've had with that between dag and between anybody else um and i hope uh i was it was my hope in my uh at the beginning of this that uh some of these mannerisms will become clearer and clearer for uh some of the uh for everybody else the more and more they interacted with that and it has uh that expectation has been met uh it definitely i feel like it has contributed to how everybody reacts to dak uh even if it's more of where's dak Where's the child leash? We need to put him on that.
4: Yeah, of course. Especially Um, in conversations with important
3: people. Especially in conversations with important people.
4: Duct tape over Dax's mouth. We're (laughs) just gonna like he doesn't usually speak up, but when he does, we need to make sure that we filter what is coming out of his mouth.
1: And it's always it's always really good to have one of that character. I think when you have two or three of them, it can be potentially a little more difficult to kind of keep everybody in line. But mm-hmm. when you have just the one, I feel like that's generally balanced enough. Um especially if they're not too rambunctious to have a lot of really neat interactions where you have, you know, the people that are more familiar with like things should be done this way, but then you have that one that's like, why though? what if i mm-hmm. what if i do this instead and then you get that little tug of war push and pull that ends up being really interesting right um, it's and I you guess... uh oh, no you pardon. came into this you as well as a couple other players when we first started off we had everybody on the lightning rail together uh you as well as silva had companions you had npc companions that you were familiar with Mm -hmm. Um, which is something that the other players, just by the nature of how things went, didn't actually have. Um, and those companions due to the events that have occurred haven't been there significantly. They haven't played a huge role in the actual campaign itself so far. Uh, and I was a bit curious about from the two of you, kind of your thoughts on that. Um, whether or not it's sort of changed how much you as a player care about those characters um, and if it's like affected how you sort of think about things in any way to have these sort of roots but then for them to for one reason or another not really be present for you at all
2: Um, one of my favorite campaigns I ever did was the first camp- the first real campaign that I was a part of uh At with the like as we as me and Franny have generally called like our League Geneva group, um, it was a campaign where it Xanathars had just come out, so the life table, like the life events table, was kind of like a new thing to like really foster. So we all kind of just like decided like we're just gonna roll on this table for and we're gonna just do this table and one of the interesting things that we had done was not only inevitably find routes to have um, some preemptive relationships with each other, but it was actually the relationships that our characters already had. And one of a couple of the two, like a couple of the more interesting ones, at least obviously from my perspective, so obviously this is just for me, uh, like for me was the way that we had done because I was playing like a necromancer and which was inherently an uncouth thing to be. Uh, so essentially having having a character who then had rolled on like being married and having a kid uh, like on that part of the table, it was like, you know what are the way we can make sense with this and it's like, Oh, well, so the, the two ways that became was that inherently we were like separated. <laughs> um, but oh, then, that necromancy. But my sibling, but then I also had a sibling who was related to the nope, one of the two noble characters, or was married to one of the two noble characters. Um, So it was like this great amalgamation of like this, like just really cagey necromancer who's trying to figure out the the keys of immortality through necromancy and his rich boy uh brother-in-law
0: mm-hmm.
2: uh be and like and the a couple times that those things could interact in the NPCs and when those MP and then when the family of that character actually came into the general town that we were kind of around uh, that was like our home base town uh, made it very interesting so suffice to say I love having NPCs that you can kind of almost have a partial grounding in Um, another great example to me of how that works is in Embers uh, with especially Unfortunately, he isn't here anymore. Uh, but with uh, Nathaniel or Jade's character, um, Terry, who has Calvin, and that's essentially it's an anchor, right? And I love having NPCs as anchors. I have definitely been in a lot of campaigns where they are anchors in a bad way and anchors in a good way, right? Mm-hmm. And they can be still, they, there, there are some ways where both of those can be fun. Um, and I, so I generally always kind of do find myself attracted to the idea of having that. Um, but I, and so like, I like that it was kind of there and it was, it was meant to be a hook into like ensuring that we still, you know, kind of were cooperating because. The reality was, if we didn't, something could happen to them. Not because they're going to do something, but because just something's going on. <laughs> and so something might happen the to them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that that, help, that very much helps, I think, at the beginning stages. you know, I think as we move, we'll have to kind of see how it would evolve. But I do generally... Like, mainly having NPCs as, you know, generally as, like, placement anchors. Not as much, I'm not as often, honestly, as crazy to have them, which inherently, if you paid attention to any of my campaigns, uh is, like, probably the most hypocritical thing I'm about to say. Uh, <laughs> but I'm not always as super crazy about having a lot or many uh NPC tag-alongs. Like, I always generally do like when the party is the party. Now, in our circumstance, that might be a little different just due to our makeup. But Mm -hmm. often I do like to just kind of have it be us and our decisions and less having the like essentially, kind of like, unfortunately like, like I said, I don't think it was necessarily ever to an egregious extent but like Caspian you know, like the downside can be sometimes, a character like how Caspian was can sometimes be too much, too much of the DM in the uh, in the room sometimes
0: Mm -hmm.
2: uh, where there can be a little bit of that like you know, the NPC is saying you know, are you really sure you want to do that? Because it's kind of you being like, or the DM being like, mm-hmm. "Are you sure about that?" So or Tim Robinson go, "Are you sure about, <laughs> sure about that?
0: I'm sure about that. Sure about that."
1: Um. So Caspian Durant to kind of hop onto that point, right? Uh, who after the attack on the Lightning Rail, um. First of all, I I want to address, kind of as a lead up to the previous question, uh, so Silva, of course, had a companion with her, a gentleman by the name of Thomas uh, Winleaf, and, uh, Dak also had a companion with them as well, uh, and they were, I'll say, taken out of the picture quite suddenly, (laughs) uh as a Warforged literally swept through the cabin of the train and just took them out. Um, so I wanted to get Franny's thoughts on that, uh, how you felt about like, this is my, this is my anchor. This is my NPC that I know and I'm familiar with. And he's gone.
0: <laughs>
3: so it's funny that you mentioned that because the only reason why Dag is acting the way he is around everybody is because Ralphis is no longer there. Uh because Ralphus was the kind of the su- say, suppressant that kept them in check due to the uh their own associations and the reason why they're both there. Um but now that Ralphis is gone Dak realizes that he's uh he's a, a horse Yes, he is a horse without a dog. Uh, he is just free. To-
4: <laughs> no, it he makes is- sense. It makes sense. Can I'm picking up what just- you're putting down. Can we put together a list of Dakism's <laughs> and just continually <laughs> compile that list throughout this campaign because that I think would go if right you, if
1: you show me a list of dac and a list of franny I'm going to tell you it's the same list
4: it's the it's same the list time. it says yeah. dac and then in parentheses <laughs> it says also Franny
3: that's why it's so easy to play DAC I just say what comes out of my mouth and it works It just works. No, but I definitely... I definitely
1: understand (laughs) what you're getting at, though, where it's like, this is a character who is very reserved and was clearly, like... You know, they act a very different way around certain people than they do around others, and then for them to kind of be in this new environment, it's like... It's like a... You know, it's like a wild animal sort of, like, testing out its environment and seeing, like, Mm -hmm. okay, can I go over here? Let me sniff this area and make sure this is safe. And it's a lot of the stuff you've done reminds me of like, you know, like a really skittish animal or like a small child that's like testing things out and seeing like how far can I reach before I do something that's going to be a problem? What can I, you know, how, how far can I extend my feelers out and, you know, stretch a little bit? Um, P-
3: precisely. That yeah. would be, that's probably the best, better way of uh, putting it. Um, and when just the abrupt way he was gone and the fact that since then, Dacus, been placing a lot of blame on the name of Ralphus, because if you guys remember, every single time someone asks his name in the beginning, he's like, uh, my name is Ralphus.
0: <laughs>
3: mm-hmm. Uh Probably indicates the relationship that the two had, at least what I imagine the relationship the two have had.
4: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was going to say, um, like the, yeah. the interactions that Set had with Ralphus, the very, very brief interaction, uh, Kind of spoke volumes about little, how a little Seth brusque, little uh, brusque in the beginning. Ralphus, here. so it was like, Oh, whenever you would like blame Ralphus or utilize Ralphus's name, set would always just kind of be like, Yeah, it's fine, he's either dead or he's kind of a dick, so he deserves it. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, precisely.
1: The uh, the lightning rail attack is, of course, the uh, catalyst, haha, wink, wink, of uh-huh. essentially this entire journey as well as you all ending up together as a group. Because you happen to be sort of in the same general area when the attack happens. So, by circumstance, you're in the same areas. But then after the attack, uh, you are led off of the train and introduced to Caspian Durant and Deirdre. Um, and sort of all taken into one carriage, and uh, end up traveling to the nearby capital city of Rote. Uh, which for most of you, wasn't a very familiar place. Uh, and for a spare few of you, was. Um, so, just real quick, I wanted to sort of address why I made the decision to start the campaign here. Um... We established, uh, Marshall was kind of tapping into it, where Caspian Durant pretty clearly is he is a fully fleshed out character in the world with his own motivations and, and decisions and such. But he is also, in a lot of ways, a surrogate for myself. Uh, with the express goal of being there to kind of guide the players through what was I consider to be kind of this prologue. Of getting everybody used to the idea of the world and what they can do and what's capable in it Um, I wanted to have somebody there so that they weren't just like completely lost from the get go not sure of what to do uh, and also was a somewhat authoritative figure while simultaneously not being somebody who is going to just like stop them at every turn and be like no you can't do that you can't do that you know that's against the rules don't do that Um, so it made the most sense to me to have a character like Caspian be sort of in that position to, uh, sort of take you all in under his wing, so to speak. Uh, when you got to the capital city, you were taken to, uh, the Citadel, which has, you've now visited multiple times throughout the campaign. Uh, you were sat down in a big room and there was a plate of donuts on the table. Uh, Marshall and Franny probably remember this but in the previous in the previous campaign I did with them I did a very similar scenario where I had all the players sat in a room together with a plate of donuts on the table Uh, the reason both times that I did this is that it is in my mind there's other ways to do this of course there's hundreds of ways but in my mind, it is one of the easiest ways to get all the characters in one place, sit them down, and let the players uh, decide how they would react in a way that isn't going to like immediately screw up any elements of the campaign. Because if you put them in a, you put them in a room, locked in a room together, and all they have is a plate of donuts, there's only so much chaos they can immediately rend onto your world. Um, and how they it, it's just a really easy way for the player to go well my character is cautious so they won't take a donut and that'll communicate to the other players how this character feels or like they immediately take the donuts and start stuffing them in their pockets that tells the other players a little bit about their personality without them expressly having to say
2: donuts in their pockets
1: <laughs> sure <laughs> Sure, but it but it tells the players other players without them expressly having to say hi. I'm so and so, and I'm very chaotic and goofy, and I'll do the thing. You know, it's just a, uh, it's just a really clean and simple way to do that. And there's
4: simple and clean.
1: Tons of ways to to do that otherwise to kind of allow characters to introduce themselves to each other. The way that you make me feel tonight. Yep. Yeah. but it it's just for me. There's something really charming about it, and plus also. Uh, a lot of the decisions I've made, even if they don't seem explicitly so, are based around the fact that Eberron as a world, when Keith Baker designed it, he was designing it as something that really f- feeds into like the neo-noir genres. Uh, and noir storytelling, noir filmmaking, and things of that sort. Uh, so it's it's just kind of like a little gag to have such a early point of the campaign be sort of the stereotypical put the criminal in the interrogation room and see what happens when you put a plate of donuts in front of them um you at this point were introduced to uh cause Caspian returned but he had somebody else with them he had a mage uh one of the uh one of the main leaders one of the main figures of the King's Wands uh, a man by the name of Nebic. Uh, so real quick, I'm going to give 25 gold to whoever answers this question first. Okay. Uh, Nebic had a autonomous quill with him that was able to take notes and seemingly act semi-freely. Does anybody remember the name of the quill? Archimedes. Oh, damn, I was gonna say quillium. You didn't say that; yet. it had to Do, be correct. Can't can't check your notes. Can't check your notes. No. I, it's it has been mentioned.
3: Yes, Archimedes.
1: It is not Archimedes.
4: Shit, uh, secretariat. It is secretariat. Yes, yes okay. I I thought it was something like that. I was like, my whole bit was I just remember the name because right wanted first. to steal it. <laughs>
2: <Yeah>. <laughs> my whole goal was just to say something first so that it would. Uh, yeah, because, of uh,
1: course.
2: Yeah. Just hit that bit.
1: Uh, So yeah, you met Nebic, uh, who was sort of gathering more information in, in terms of this investigation. Uh, from this point, things kind of shifted a bit, because this is where Caspian sort of made the decision of like, I am going to... We are going to have all of you be a part of the investigation actively. Um... And so, I'm going to take you with me, as opposed to just having you stay here at the at the King Citadel and just wait out, you know, whatever's going to happen. Um, and from there, you all uh, were able to kind of start exploring the city of Rote for the first time. And... I believe it was right within that moment, or around that time, that you first paid a visit to the Winchester Scythe, uh, which was this, like, very old, extravagant sort of theater, uh, and you, uh, you were able to have dinner there, um, here, you all ordered drinks, uh, so five gold to anybody who can remember, uh, the drinks that were ordered,
4: uh, Dak got like the weird ass tea that made him hallucinate. Yeah, it was the one with the high alcohol
3: content. That I didn't realize had high alcohol content. Well, why would because why? Because Francisco in real life doesn't drink.
2: <laughs> well, I also said it was. It was. Well, that was the thing. It was. It was just labeled as a tea. They that was a, that was a small trickery where they weren't immediately just like. This has fucking Absinthe in it. <laughs> <laughs>
4: um, I
1: believe, if I remember correctly, the effects... Uh, not to, like, nitpick you or anything, uh, but just for the fun. It, it was more akin to Everclear than Absinthe in terms of, like, the effects uh, that it had. Yes, that's what it was, sorry. Because it, it put Dak in this, like, really, like, dream-like state of, like, floating and just being, like... <sighs> uh... But, uh, the orders were uh, two of you got Citrus Flagons, uh, one of you got the Winchester Special, uh, another person just got a glass of water, and then we had Dak, who got the, uh, the tea, which I just have in parentheses Everclear.
3: (laughs) I think I remember correctly, it's just, you just said the Everclear tea.
1: Yeah. Uh... But yeah, you you all sort of got drinks and you sat down. As you were at the Winchester Scythe, a really curious thing happened. Uh, You were introduced to two more characters. Uh, A man by the name of Sandy Crodstock, who was very intoxicated at the time that you had met him. Uh, And you were also uh, introduced to a gentleman uh, going by the name of Trist. Uh, The two of them seemed to be in pretty good spirits. they were very cordial. And then uh, Trist was uh, sort of offered to take Sandy uh, to to have him go sit down somewhere and uh, I believe it was Set, if I remember Mm -hmm. correctly who noticed that Trist seemed to have a dagger pulled and was sort of holding it firmly against Sandy Crowdstock's back and for additional measure sort of turned around and gave you something of a wink like a devilish wink um in that moment, what were you as a player thinking? You, Cause you had just met this character, and then you yeah. immediately get this really weird interaction with them, something that not everybody else saw. Uh how are you how are you sort of like thinking in that moment? What was your mind going through of like what's what's happening here?
4: So I feel like at that moment, uh set really didn't have much of a connection to the party it was kind of just a well we're here might as well like roll with it Uh, you know set has their own goals and you know stuff that they need to do so let's just kind of roll with it until uh, we're able to accomplish what we want to do and in that moment that's kind of why upon seeing that set kind of just went to Silva and was like do you care about that guy at all? Like, mm-hmm. no. Yeah, all right, I'll ignore Never. it then. It's that's not um, that's not my problem. I I have no <laughs> no uh, interaction with them. I don't really care about them. Like, I at that point really uh, you know really playing it up as a like yeah this is this is kind of how set has been just because of. You know kind of a little more backstory like just because of like the trauma that they've kind of gone through with mm-hmm. interact with all of their interactions from a young age so it's just like a, okay well if i don't need to get involved in this then i'm not going to because that could just cause me more problems
1: right um from there after after that evening we went into kind of the next big thing to happen uh, was that we, uh, the group as a whole, ventured outside of the city walls and went south to the Baron's Keep. Uh, this abandoned military keep uh, that had not really been occupied much since the the ending of the last war. Uh, the goal was to travel there by horse so that you could uh, hopefully gather more information about the warforges that had attacked the lightning rail. Uh, it was believed that there was there was some information, possibly a ledger of of info, that could be used to sort of identify which Warforge specifically he attacked the train uh, and where they had been stationed prior. So you all arrived at the baron's keep um, at night, and it was eventful. Uh, you all had a, uh, right pretty, pretty hefty conflict with some spirits, uh, inside of the keep, as well as, uh, coming across, you know, a few items, grabbing a few books here and there, uh, getting into fights with some suits of armor, uh, and the culmination of this was, of course, really interesting, because I didn't expect it to go down this way, <laughs> uh, to put it simply, uh, sort of near the end of combat with these 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 spirits, Uh, I had designed in advance a very specific rule for them. Not expecting us to get into a situation where it would really come into play, but as just kind of like this thing. And it was the idea of like, well, it shouldn't be... I wanted to set them apart from, like, regular, like, ghosts or spirits or anything of that sort. I wanted them to have a really unique flavor to them. And I was thinking about how if one of these ghosts kills you, that shouldn't be, like, the end, quote-unquote. There should be an additional level of what they would do. Because any ghost really could kill anyone. It makes more sense for them to have, like, an additional need beyond that. mm mm-hmm. So I figured, well, it makes sense then that they don't want to just end your life. They need what is inside of you, what you harbor, which is a soul, inside of this person. So it's not enough to just kill you. They're, they're It's not for fun, you know? It's not... It's to get to your soul for it to be accessible for them to then ingest it. Uh... For their own means so you died as a character uh no I really I, I, I managed really to died. roll maximum amount you went fully unconscious and then dead uh and so it was a it was this very split second thing of like the spirit has sort of absorbed most of your soul but they haven't absconded with it. So, you're dead, but you're not 100% out. Uh, And... If... (laughs) If the spirit had successfully gotten away with that soul, and had, like, utterly disappeared without everyone being able to finish it off... Uh... You 100% would have had to make a brand new character. Which I... You know, I would have felt terrible about. Straight up. Uh... But you would have had to make a new character because that character, as we know, it, just would not exist. Mm-hmm. Uh And... Your remains... If they had not been buried properly within 24 hours... You would have arisen as a revenant form. Uh... Think Crimson Heads from Resident Evil. You, mm-hmm. Your body would have arisen with most of your abilities and your intelligence intact. And your impulse would have been to attack whatever you had seen last. So you would have chased the party down to the ends of the earth as a soulless husk. And they would have had to have destroyed that husk. Or otherwise, it would have just kept following you until... Uh, un- until it killed all of you. Yeah. That would have been um, interesting. Ooh, which would have been it would have been really interesting. But I, I get. I'm personally grateful that you all were able to finish off those spirits when you did, and that you were able to get the, you were able to get Set's body back to the city, so we could then have that whole process. Uh, because, again, to be that early in the campaign and immediately have like, okay, this character's dead isn't fully my goal. And I say that knowing that when we did our session zeros and we did our initial meetings and all that, I was very clear that I was like, okay, first of all, I'm gonna gesticulate a lot with my hands when I talk, so be ready. And then the second thing is that combat is going to be challenging. It's uh it hasn't happened nearly as much as I would like it to have in this campaign. Uh and again, that's just pacing issues with I me poorly pacing it out. But the the idea going in was like everybody who's playing this game has played tabletop RPGs before. There's no there's no nobody's green here. Everybody has experience. And I I feel like Eberron Being what it is, as a world that is so entrenched in magic, where a lot of elements of it are normal and commonplace to the point of being banal, I didn't want you guys to feel, especially starting out, that this was a cakewalk. The, the last thing I wanted to do was to have you guys be like, okay, so you guys are at like level two, here's what you're going to do. You're going to go out into a field, uh, you're going to slay, uh, you know, 10 wild boars so you can level up, uh, and complete this quest out. And then you're going to return that quest to the guild master, you know, just like the basic MMORPG, you know, first, first quest of the game type of situation. Like I, I, I wanted to stray as far away from that as possible. Uh, and I wanted to put you guys in real danger, but still give you the opportunities to really defend yourself and, you know, improvise out, not necessarily feel like you're just stuck to the actions that are on your, uh, character sheet. Like, really use, take use of the environment. Baron's Keep was littered with, uh broken chairs, and and tables, and remnants, and old books, and bookshelves, and all kinds of items. Because I wanted to give you a kung fu set. Uh. Which means, if you ran out of spell slots, if you ran out of actions, if you ran out of things that you as a character specifically could do, I wanted there always to be something in reach where you could dive over a table, or you could grab a mug and throw it at somebody, or you could kick a chair in front of a door, Or use the environment in that way. Um, And I've tried to do that with a lot of the encounters we've had in this campaign. I've tried to set it up so that there's always something around you. Uh, The only real exception being the last encounter we had. uh, Your fight against uh, three. Where I very specifically put you in a room where it was just... for, For the most part, it was just you and the big bad. Um, we got out of Barons Keep. You were able to get set back to the city of Rote, and in order to resurrect him, them, as uh, the time had passed to be able to do like a simple revivify, and none of you had the capability anyway. Um, Trist, who we had established earlier, ended up fronting the bill, as it were, to have a resurrection scroll taken from the citadel and applied by one Matthias Cauldre, uh, to resurrect you and to bring you back to life Trist I'm trying to think of how to say this you weren't supposed to meet him this way if that makes any sense Because I hadn't anticipated you or anyone else dying that quickly, this is the point where a lot of what I was planning—and all DMs are familiar with this feeling—this is the part where a lot of what I was planning really changed. And it was like, okay, I don't have to throw out a lot of the bits and pieces that I've got set up. You know, I'm not—I'm not getting rid of all the pieces on the chessboard. I just got to move them around. I, I got to reconfigure them. I had the king over here. Well, now I got to move him over here because there's no knight in this. Or however chess is played. I don't know how it plays. I don't know. Uh,
4: I was going to say, you're you're doing some weird things with chess over there.
1: I put... Listen, I put the backgammon pieces in front of the knight because the knight can only move in diagonals. I know you're with me so far. Yeah, uh, sure. <laughs> all this to say... uh. Your The next time you were going to meet Trist had absolutely nothing to do with the Citadel. It had nothing to do with Matthias Cauldre. It would have been a completely different scenario, completely different circumstance. But it made sense as far as, like, who at this point in the campaign, if anybody, is going to care enough to front the bill to make this happen. And... I knew Matthias was going to eventually be involved because of the role that they played in the greater mystery, but they also weren't originally going to be introduced in that way. It was going to be, again, under different circumstances, um, and it just so happened that it was like, okay, somebody I need to have somebody on deck to resurrect them, and I need to have somebody on deck to front the costs, and, of course, that means that Caspian has to do some behind-the-scenes work to make sure that this all stays off-book, so to speak. Um, and it, who's, you know, who's going to do it? Who's going to be the mage that does it? It could be Nevik. No, it can't be Nevik because he's here right now. He's doing this other thing. Uh, it, can't be, it can't be them. No, it can't be them. And I basically had to go through and it was like, okay, no. I need to introduce Matthias Cauldrew about six or seven sessions earlier. Because I need... that They're the only one in this moment that makes sense to be able to do this. We go through the resurrection process. During this time that you are not fully alive, you encounter a deer. Let's talk about these deer for a second. Please. How do y'all feel... About the presence of deer
4: in this campaign so far. way. In
2: general? Like <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> I
4: I feel a way about them. Mm-hmm. It's it is such a good like, uh, like way to kind of throw us off kilter when they pop up. Which is really nice as like just this like kind of consistent story mechanic for all of us but also have some nuances for each person of how this deer interacts with them. And even stuff that they bring up that other characters can hear where it's like, oh, they don't know that. No one else knows that. Let's hope this just kind of blows over or, you know, it's not further questioned or stuff like that. So I think it's I think it's a really interesting mechanic.
2: Yeah, I mean uh the yeah. the deer is very well at it was very good at being a very deep omen <laughs> like it's inherently unsettling. But it gives like very little to necessarily assuage that it is particularly friend or foe
0: mm-hmm. <laughs> but
2: instead an omen
1: uh and Franny, your thoughts on the deer they freak me out in the
3: right way possible um it's good i have always been a fan of narrative devices that make appearances throughout the story and the minute you introduced the deer a second time uh meant that it became one of those narrative devices and i was like yes i fucking love this um so i'm very curious to see what happens uh especially since i don't know whose backstories they tied in they tie into specifically uh but they've shown themselves to all of us. So it could be everybody or one specific person where, and by association, we're all seeing these visions. So I, it intrigues me so much. Uh, I am so intrigued as one uh, Benoit Blanc once said, um, <laughs>
1: just ignore the first half of that quote. Um no, I'm, I'm glad to hear that. Um, you are at fault for why we're seeing them now. Uh, <laughs> speaking of above game, because essentially what happened, if you all recall, uh, before even going to the Baron's Keep, you all were provided with horses uh, to take to the keep. And there was this situation where uh, Dak is on a combination of still kind of riding the high of the drink that they had imbibed, and then they get... If I remember correctly, it was a natural 20 on like a animal handling check with your horse. Uh-huh. Where you just like tapped into like this mind connection with the horse. Uh, <laughs> as a goof, I put that horse there. Because I knew it was intriguing enough that somebody might pick it. And as a goof that horse is way more important than it has any right to be. <laughs> I love it. Absolutely love it. And uh, I my expectation was that Silva would end up with that horse, and there would be some thematic elements that could connect there. But you got it instead, and then you rolled that nat 20, and I thought, well the state you're in and the connection that you have now forged with this horse means that even though you are not fey in nature it still there's still going to be a moment where you're going to be able to establish this connection and you're going to see some shit that you absolutely are not supposed to see You're here, so you open the door so to speak because that the horse immediately starts talking about... Fear the Red. The Red is coming. Uh, and then... We get to... Set dying. And being in this weird... Not quite. <laughs> uh, we get into this weird situation of... Set is like... You're dead, but your soul is still fully intact. But there was a prolonged period... Where it was separated from your body very specific circumstance which is why we get that very first sort of moment with you when you haven't been fully resurrected yet and you're in that boat and you see the corpse of the deer for the first time and the head raises up and it talks to you and it tells you to jump out of the boat um so to show my hand fully this deer as I'm sure you can assume is extremely important to the overall story I'm trying to tell.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: In- incredibly, but you've only gotten the a hair's length of a Y'all were not supposed to know or experience anything related to these deer until level ten, at least. Oh, yeah. This. Holy this shit. was. This was. Back half of the game for me in my planning and what I had set up. But you were and just the, like,
2: man, these are some circumstances. Well, time the, to
0: bust
1: the, out yep. the deer. <laughs> <laughs> the, the circumstances were such that I was like, it, it is, and it's going to make a lot more sense in down the line mm-hmm. when and if or when you guys you know sort of sort of unlock what that is about and what that whole situation is. It doesn't make sense for the deer to ignore the events that have occurred. For this to happen in such proximity, it, it it's one of those things where it's like, they they notice that this is happening, and even if they don't want to get involved, they gotta get involved. It, it, they need to, to make... You know, they gotta show their presence in regards. Um... And that's how we get the whole situation with sort of Silva having that really like deep dream or vision, you know, where she's deep in the forest and there's the the deer that you know approaches her and sort of breaks off into several other sort of spiritualized deer figures, um, giving that omen about the red coming down from the sky and the sea of red that spreads out, and uh, just this very complex sort of almost prophetic like. Uh, you know, statement that, that's given to you. Uh, yeah, all that was supposed to be far off in the future. Way off in the future. And it was just the way things have, have happened, the way things have occurred, I was like I guess we're doing it now. And it's not going to make sense right away. It's going to take time for this stuff to make sense. But we're going to introduce it right now and then we'll see how the players react to it if they, uh if they, they really dive into it, or if it's just, all right, well, that was weird. Anyway, on to the next thing. Uh, yeah. So, Set, you're resurrected. You have a nice, wholesome chat with Trist, where Trist sort of begins to reveal a little bit more about themselves. Nice and wholesome. What's, so, we, so we established, like, your first sort of impressions of them and what happened with at the yeah. Winchester Scythe. At this moment... Uh, I'll forever cherish the look on your face as this sort of began to like like, unfurl. Um, So Marshall and Franny your anchors were with you when we started this campaign. Every other character their anchors aren't gone forever. They're absolutely here. They're just not with them right away. But I very intentionally set it up. It was like, I know who these people are connected to. I know what their relationships are, how this is set up. I'm going to place these people here. These people are going to be here. These people are going to be here. And with Trist, it was... That was always going to be something that eventually happened. Where there was going to be that moment where you two had that one-to-one. And they were going to kind of reveal who they really were, in a sense. Um, and again it it just so happened that because of the circumstances of like you are being resurrected so now it's going to happen while you're in this hospital
4: bed. Yeah. Um while I'm so, strapped down to a yeah. bed and I can't yes. do anything, you can't react. Yeah. Yeah,
1: absolutely. Cuz that and that was another that was a thing too where I definitely thought about that was like
2: <sighs> Inherently I,
1: would... I...
3: Right.
1: <laughs> Yeah. Go ahead.
3: I
2: want to go over the fact that, like, the fucking balls on this guy of Trist, who fucking just was, like, coming in, being, like, by the way, <laughs> like, fucking, uh, get out of town, <laughs> uh, blah, 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 and, like, disguise him as a doctor and shit, and then, like, go through all that shit later and just, like, completely. Just never give up the ruse.
3: <laughs>
0: yeah, then, no, the let's, let's talk about just that. Just be yeah. like...
2: Remember.
1: Out of town. <laughs> <laughs> you, you didn't forget, right? You, you still, still remembered? Got it? Not? not okay. Just do, like, the SpongeBob snaps as he walks up. The... <laughs> um, SpongeBob snaps. No, yeah, let's... Because that ended up being, like, a very... So, obviously, Trist started as, like, a Set-centric character, very much an anchor for Set. But, um, sort of by way of how the events were occurring, everyone in the group eventually got introduced to them. Uh, you know, there's the whole situation where you guys kind of were speaking with them at the cow's eye, the the semi-interrogation that happened, um there was a lot of obvious you know flip flop back and forth as far as like can we trust this person are they involved it seems like they're involved to some capacity um you guys not as your characters but as the players you guys going through most of this campaign were you going through it like oh this guy's guilty 100% or was there genuinely like that doubt like I'm not sure what their actual involvement is in the whole thing
2: I mean, yeah, I mean, I've, I eventually started to doubt just because of the fact that I've just like. At this point, fucking. I mean, like, because it's. Whenever you're dealing with somebody who can be a shapeshifter, it's like, man, who knows?
4: <laughs> I definitely think that. Uh, I was. I was suspicious, but also it wasn't a. Oh, I know 100% that they were involved. It was a, they could be like, they very well could be. And because they are so skilled at what they do, they could be hiding it pretty easily from, you know, people who that's not really what we do. Um, But then also with everything with Matthias and then that group of rich bastards, like, Mm -hmm. That really, I think, pulled some of that suspicion away because, like, as suspicious as Trist was with that interaction, like the fact that Matthias, which was like, all right, bye. And then pieces out. And then these guys are all super shady. Like, mm-hmm. it, it just the the suspicion was definitely like still lingering a little bit there, but like this was like a big flashing light in your face like hey i'm doing shady shit like okay yeah obviously we're gonna focus a little bit more on that especially with as the time went on like yeah in game like you said at the beginning like in in game at this point we there was only like set had been resurrected for like a day or two Mm -hmm. when we start like or maybe it had gotten onto three at that point, but like, but at that point we're starting to plan the velvet curtain stuff. And like, like, Oh yeah. Like it's been a year since Set died, but it's been three days in game. Yeah. Yeah. So like kind of, I think that also led into it because like, especially towards the end when we're talking in the, and doing the planning for our uh, infiltrating the castle, basically, was like oh wait what the fuck happened to matthias where is he (laughs) what is going on with that man like is he involved in this like he's a powerful magic user and so like it finally like clicked and i was like wait a second we're forgetting about this super powerful mage that has just suddenly disappeared well that's
2: what got me the inspiration before the siege was i was like Oh, hey, Mm -hmm. uh, so, because we were like, who would be controlling three? If three is under control from Mm -hmm. someone, who would be controlling him? Oh, well, Matthias disappeared.
4: (laughs) Matthias was a shady little shit, too.
2: Oh, I mean, no, he's 100% involved in this. Like, look, three is inherently showed no signs of being a like. Or three at no point showed like any signs of being a powerful spellcaster, specifically one that would be because if he was inherently such a powerful spellcaster that he could rewrite memories, I don't feel like we would have won that battle.
3: Yeah, probably Accurate. not. Unless we all crowded him and then just kept rolling really good. That's yeah, Hey, we, I mean we did we did do know pretty what well. High level spells
2: there are. We know what That's high level spell- You can crowd a wizard, but like all he needs then is a fucking like any form of like high or like a high level like cast on self AOE, and your guy you're all cut up.
4: Well, oh, even if it's oh. not a cast on self, it's just a oh I have spell shaping like fuck all of you.
2: So I mean yeah. So like, in terms of like being like a. Like, because three never really gave that indication, like, I feel like inherently the the disappearance and setup nef- definitely gave it way too much to in any shape or form leave any doubt or le or remove any doubt uh of Matthias's involvement.
1: Uh yeah, Matthias was Matthias is a very interesting character, very pivotal character. And I I had to be extremely careful about how I presented them, and there were a few reasons for that. Uh the first because as I said, they're they're very important to the sort of the integral thread that, that was happening. Um The other thing is that I didn't want to reveal all their secrets, quote-unquote, right away. And there's still... Obviously, there's still a lot that you as players and as characters don't know about them. Um, Especially now that they've just, like, vanished. Uh, The other thing was that... When we started the campaign, one of the things that I kind of laid out that... In terms of knowledge coming into this... uh, For Kevin... I was like, you don't need to have been a part of our smaller series Year of the Toad. Even though it takes place within the same world, and it happened, you know, a year prior, you don't need to worry about knowing anything from those sessions or having been involved. You know, this is a a fresh story with new characters. Um, What I did there is a really advanced uh, DM tactic called lying your ass off. Because Uh, of course, of course, I was gonna be taking things from Year of the Toad, and they were gonna carry over into this new campaign. One hundred percent. I it was a it was for me it was just a waiting game of when Marshall or Bennett or Jade or Franny when any of them was gonna have that moment of recognition when that that spark was gonna go off of. I know this guy. And, and then it was just going to kind of go from there of like, you, you know, you motherfucker, you, it, all bets are off. It, it's not, anybody can show up really at, at the, at this point. Um, so I had to be really careful and reserved about how I presented Matthias because I didn't want to just like blow the lid on that right away. Um, and so that resulted in you having this one meeting with him in his apartment A body of the landlord gets thrown through the window, smashes the piano in the room, Um, you know, set very successfully, showing how he can make an egg disappear.
4: Uh, All I'm saying... Oh, man, my my hearing and comprehension during that specific conversation was just, I, in (laughs) real life, rolled a natural one, and just fucking botched it <laughs>
0: like also,
2: if i remember correctly i just realized no that was the fucking thing was wasn't the wasn't the inspiration coming from the fact that we realized that that probably wasn't matthias because he was essentially refusing to utilize any magic
4: I mean, he's a a powerful spellcaster. He he can do whatever the fuck he wants.
2: That's what we were getting at, was like...
4: There was a moment... Yeah, so there was this
1: moment where you guys were trying to work things out, and there was a very... There was this very clear, clear line being established of like... He deliberately asked you all to perform magic for them, instead of performing it themselves. And there was this curiosity being brought up of like... Why would the wizard not just, you know, show off that they can, you know, make the egg disappear immediately themselves? Uh, And so there was questions of, like, well, if, you know, if this is a, maybe this is someone posing as them who can't do magic, and so why would they show any you know, they wouldn't be able to. They wouldn't be able to cast spells regularly because they're not actually the wizard that they claim they are. And so there was that, like, uncertainty going around of, like, maybe this isn't Matthias. Um, you know, maybe this is someone posing as them. or Maybe, you know, Matthias is posing as a wizard. Or, you know, there, there were ideas floating about, but nothing concrete was established. Mm-hmm. And then the... You know, the... The thread towards the end there... It was diving into... Uh... Diving into that very deep memory... Where Francisco was able to access... A deeper level of it as Dak... And actually see the moment where... Um... Uh... Dubois... Sorry, Cassowary Dubois... Ancestor... Meets with that shadowy figure... And the figure casts the spell on them convinces them to create the secret passage and one of you, it might have been Silva but some somebody picks up on the fact that the voice of the mysterious figure sounds near dead on to Matthias Cauldrew. and that was the big like aha moment of like okay That's, that's our end goal because you were right, Marshall. It it didn't make sense that three who up to this point hadn't really been presented as any kind of like an experienced magic user or anything of that type. And also like, there were a lot of inconsistencies with how time was working and where people were at certain times. And there was this, this thing of like, it doesn't make sense. Like we know that three is quote unquote behind this. But it doesn't make sense that they would be the person to pull off this like generational mind alteration uh, that was integral to this being able to work in the first place. Uh, And so that was that big moment, that big eureka of like, who's the person that's missing? We, We know we've got all these people involved. There's so many, so many people involved in this investigation. Who's the missing factor? And it was Matthias. Um, so I want to get into from here because we had this very big, uh, sort of branching point, you know, there was a really big discussion that was had back at the cow's eye where it was the decision that was kind of, that needed to be made was from here at this point in the investigation, did we want to go revisit, like re-leave the city and head south to the king's forest? Uh because if you remember this was presented to you as an option by Caspian like quite a while ago. Yeah. Of like, we you know, I've got intel that says we should go due south. There's an outpost there, an abandoned outpost, based off the information we got from the ledger, that you know, we we can get more info from this outpost, um, you know, sort of nestled in, in the King's Forest there. Or there's also the whole situation with uh the velvet curtain uh, if y'all recall and the the decision that was made was to tackle uh, because we had a note that was clutched in the dead landlord's hand uh, that pointed to a set of initials and the conclusion that was reached was that while we weren't 100% sure they may apply to a man by the name of Ezekiel Eberson. Because there was an E-E in the note. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is what sort of got you guys pointed in the direction of like, okay, well, we know this guy from Dak reading the local paper that we we know this guy was in some way in connection with Sandy Crowdstock, who has been murdered. And we we figure out that like, okay, so this guy is a pretty important figure. He's a land baron. And the expectation is that he's going to be at... Uh, he's often seen with his cohorts at the Velvet Curtain, because he enjoys the shows there. So you had this, this point of choosing between these two options, going to the Velvet Curtain or heading south to the forest. I genuinely believe that y'all would go to the King's Forest first... Because this was just after the occurrence of the whole apartment. Uh, the incident that happened there. And you guys narrowly managed to escape and, and you know make your way back out through the crowd. Uh, in my mind, I thought that you guys would immediately choose the King's Forest. So that you could stay sort of out of sight, out of mind. Until things sort of cooled down a bit. Uh, so I... And this is where, this is one of those things where it's like, here's here's a lesson for the DM to learn. So I had everything for the King's Forest prepared. I had, I'm going to say 30% of the Velvet Curtain ready. When you guys made that decision. And I went, okay. <laughs> I've got homework to do. So, I remember that part specifically because that was where there was like multiple like alright, I'm staying up until 2am to get everything ready for them to be able to do this, because I wanted them to have the choice, and I want to honor the fact that they didn't go with the option that I was expecting them to. Like, I called it wrong, but that they shouldn't be punished for it. I'm going to we're going to get this set up. Uh, so you all are getting ready sort of spread out to grab supplies. Um, by this point you've also had the opportunity to kind of walk the city a little bit and you've had the chance to meet a few characters you go into a few clothing shops, meet the blacksmith and you also got to meet a character uh, by the name of Victoria Schievel. Uh just curious this many sessions into the campaign what do y'all think her deal is? just, just fully curious
4: what do y'all think her deal is? a role model fair goals. Honestly like I'm half torn between she is just this really old like eccentric magic user and also she has to be like some patron like some like other being and more leaning towards that after our foray into whatever the fuck she's got behind her bookshelf so
1: Marshall uh you as Silva got to have a whole side adventure behind that bookshelf oh great uh which was which was great I'm not disparaging in any way and I hope you enjoyed it too uh that was another one of those things that was like, "I've got this tucked away for later in the campaign this is This is one of those little secret things I've just got kind of hidden away because I have a ton of them. I'll be honest i've there's there's way too much going on in this. Um, I've just got this little thing tucked away. you know, maybe they'll find out about it later. I'll just keep it tucked away. And it was like, well, you're checking this bookshelf." You rolled just the right rolls. I'm like... It, it's one of those things. It's just like, it makes sense to happen now. It, it, it doesn't... You know, it's not going to completely break the campaign if I introduce this concept now. It can happen now. Uh, you went through that little adventure, and at the end of it, you came out with a card. Sort of akin to like a, like a fortune-telling card, like a tarot card um and so like I have no trouble because I haven't yet introduced in any way what the purpose of that is in the world you just got this tarot card after going through this like terrifying library maze um and that is another one of those things that was like I had this set aside for a later day but I guess it's today um when we did everybody's session zero, do you all remember how we ended each of your respective session zeros?
2: Absolutely fucking not.
4: <laughs> okay. Drawing a drawing a tarot card. That's true. Yeah.
0: Definitely. And I don't think not you th-
4: remember that. <laughs> you didn't tell us what the results were, did you? Correct. Yeah. It Correct. was just the uh, choose. Choose a card and uh <laughs> This is a this is a special tool that will help us later. <laughs> hmm Uh
1: yeah, so that so Marshall got to be the lucky duck that found that tool in game and was the first to find that. Uh we are 100% going to address this in the near future, unless you all decide to keep going. And I'm not going to elaborate on what that means. I'm just going to say that that is there. You will find out what that means soon, or you will make the conscious decision to go the other way. Uh. But yeah, that was another... And that was really great to I really liked... It's really important to me that you guys get to do as many things as possible as a... But I also do appreciate the smaller moments where one character gets to kind of do something on their own. And Silva has gotten to have a couple opportunities with that. She's been really interesting in that way, where she has had these moments to really sort of break off from everyone else and be on her own, sort of experience things on her own. Um the the other big thing I think of is like when she sort of snuck out at night and went off to visit Thomas Winleaf, uh, at the medical tents without anyone else, and she got to really like experience what the city looks like at night. Um and also got to have that additional conversation with Marie, uh which was it served multiple purposes, of course. You know, it was a chance to kind of get to know him a little bit more but also to establish that 3 has full access to everybody in these medical tents which means he'll have no problem taking them all as hostages later on Um,
2: granted that wasn't the thought that crossed my mind at the time
1: of course yeah because there was nothing at that point that like would point towards that Um, shadowing yeah so getting back on track Uh, Victoria Skeevil is... I've I've not hidden at all that she's one of my favorite characters that I've made. Uh, I love her to death. You haven't even seen this. You haven't gone past the surface with her. Uh, Hope you'll be able to unearth more. She is one of the first characters I made for this campaign. Uh, I figured a lot of her stuff out. Prior to anybody's session zeros... um, It was around the same time... That I sent out the... Original like... Documentation to you guys... Like the original like introductory... Word doc... Um, That initial planning... Multiple years ago... Was when I first... Sort of charted her out... Um, And so she's she's one of the oldest characters in the campaign obviously not like one of the most prominent uh but i'm really proud of her and i i kind of use her as an example of my style uh of dming which is to say i don't have one and i'm actively learning it as i go i thought you were going to say
3: she's an example of your psyche
1: a bit of that too, uh, a lot of things. Me as a DM, I, I think it's it's kind of been clear. I hope it's been clear. Uh, I am not a one hundred percent railroad DM. I am also not a one hundred percent. You are on your own. Do whatever you want. You know, go go anywhere. Do anything. DM. Because I have a very clear idea for the story, and uh you know, sort of the larger thematic elements with the acknowledgement that you all are the ones playing and you are the ones who choose where the story goes and where it's going to turn and change. Um, Skeevel is a great example of how for some reason I love creating characters who... Refuse to do anything but yes and any of the chaos going on around. Um, we've you've you've had characters that were very serious, you've had characters that were very dedicated with their own agendas, their own goals. But I feel like all of them, to some degree, if something happens, there's a level of just like, okay, that happened, I'm I'm in, I'm a part of it. Um, and a lot of that comes from, uh, some of my favorite elements of comedy and how comedy works to get on like a really pretentious level. Uh, My favorite moments in comedy are somebody being put in a ludicrous or crazy situation and treating it like it's normal. And it's just every day and this is just what happens and this is how it works. Uh, Leslie Nielsen in Police Squad or any of the Naked Gun films or Airplane is a prime example of that, where he is in these ridiculously insane scenarios and he just treats it like it's nothing. And it's just Rest like, oh, case, there's, there's no wall here? Sure, of course, that's that's how it should be. And so Skeevil is like, she's that cranked to 12, and then with all of my other characters, I'm just taking that dial and I'm adjusting it accordingly because again this is Eberron it's a world where magic is super commonplace and a lot of this to a degree is supposed to be normalized so you're not going to run into many characters if any that are going to be like what is that how did that happen that's that's not that doesn't make any sense how do you find like everybody's going to have some level of like yeah sure Oh, well, let's go with that we're just gonna follow that and see where it goes um, so, so every character to a degree is basically like somebody who's been in improv classes for a few years and they are just gonna kinda go with the flow go with everything and that's again it's because I don't wanna put you guys in a position where I'm constantly telling you no or that you can't do things so even when I give you an NPC that's like a like wizard cop quote unquote uh there's still aspects of that character that make it so that they aren't necessarily going to force you to just like stick to the law 100% of the time and are going to give you a... Um okay, before we completely run out of time here. Uh we go to the velvet curtain. Uh real quick, I just want to give a quick shout out to Francisco. Uh you did something that I really appreciated as a DM. Is that you took the opportunity, which was you guys going to get you and Nathaniel going to get the uh, the <laughs> outfits for the evening, uh, and you did two really cool things. The first, the first cool thing that you did is that you had the audacity to set it up so that the royal family was going to receive a bill for the outfits, and there was just going to be no consequences to that whatsoever. Nothing bad. Is gonna <laughs> Very cool. I love when that happened. Uh, The second really cool thing that you did is when you took the opportunity, as this plan is being formulated, of like, how are we going to get in? What are we going to pose as? How are we going to present ourselves? Uh, And you took the opportunity to go, I will be the person from a foreign land, and I'm going to take little parts of my culture that I haven't really expounded upon with the group yet, Mm -hmm. and I'm going to use those as part of this identity that i'm taking on and it was a really smart way to you know kind of put in these little bits and pieces about your character's background without again explicitly being like i'm from this place and every everybody from here is like this and they all do this thing and when i grew up it was all like that like you were just like no, you know they would wear this color. The purple is an important color. If you are greeting this figure, they're going to say this. Mm-hmm. Make sure that you present yourself in this way. Um, just a really good way to like introduce that culture without having like a history thesis that goes on for two hours. Right. Um, so yeah,
0: I could I've have been you guilty that. of that. Yeah, thank
1: you. Yeah.
0: Um,
3: yeah. I'm just glad that it worked to a certain extent. Um, and I may have during that time, Dak may have let on a bit too much uh, if people were paying attention to uh, the things he was saying during that time uh, so that's all, all I'll say to that but it was definitely very fun to uh, build the royal family and then cause in all honestly, Dak would have been like yeah, th- they'll be fine they have money
4: and then also insinuating that a coup is happening somewhere. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah.
1: yeah, so this so this is what's <laughs> rad uh, cuz I I am not just saying that, that that was a great choice because I got to punish you for it later. Right. It was a great choice because of how conveniently it lined up with everything else that was happening. Because what you did is like you set up you basically built the board game mouse trap. And then you were like, I'm going to drop a marble over here because it's fun to watch the marble fall. And then not realizing that the slide you built over here goes over to the elevator here, which then lifts up and goes down this tube, and then it hits this hammer. And oops, these things are actually connected that I had no idea were connected at all. So there's this whole background element of like... There are people within the city who are not happy with the king's rule, especially post-war. There are people who do not want a war to happen again, and there are others who had a very vested interest in the war effort. And so you have these conflicting sides, and there's this whole background thing of, you know, these sort of murmurs of people that are dissenting and who have, uh, who have reasons to... ...be angry with the royal family... ...and with how the nation is... ...run... ...and so you... ...managed to... ...sneak in this little element... ...of like... ...there's these... ...whispers of a coup... ...going on... ...to then... ...feed the fire... ...and then you guys... ...are off to do this thing... ...which... ...of course... ...ends in disaster... ...because there was no way... ...I was gonna let this... ...just end peacefully... ...and everybody goes home happy... ...but all of it... ...fed into this... ...panic that was building... Um, about like, oh, well, there were these, you know, there were mysterious people uh, that that weren't accounted for. And this, what if this is part of the coup that everybody's
4: talking about? And, oh, it's happening. This, this is the moment. The coup Um, everyone is talking about is the key point there, too. Because it's like, oh, yeah, as soon as you start the merchants talking about a potential coup, everyone knows about a potential coup. Right. Yep. It's, it's uh, like you're getting sized for clothes. Oh yeah, did you hear? I, I heard from this other customer that uh, that there there's whispers of a coup going on. It's like, it, oh, all right.
0: I'll
3: be honest, the original reason for the, that plan in general and going with that was because Dak uh, and Francisco are aware that everybody loves a good piece of gossip. And what mm. better piece of gossip than, hey, you know they're going to overthrow the government?
0: <laughs> what better, no better piece of piece gossip of except
4: the biggest piece of gossip
3: no, exactly. that there could be? No, no big, of- and people will believe how big it is. You have, to, um, you have to try to not sound like a conspiracy theorist, though. So you have to insert yourself into it.
1: A couple quick things Uh at this point in the campaign. Uh One yes, Clark Bart was 100% off the top of my head. <laughs> yes, uh,
4: We knew, I, don't worry. <laughs> I
1: the natural one as Caspian. I had to come up with a name on the spot. Dak is uh, going to name the, his first son Clark Bart. Because there's, the. I have to say that because there's a lot of, I, I can't stress enough, I am a crazy person. Yes. And there's yeah. a lot of stuff in this campaign that you might think was just, that was something off the top of my head. And the reality is that no, I planned that in advance, and there's actually a ton of connecting branches to this thing. So I want to emphasize that Clark Bart doesn't have any kind of like crazy lore behind it that you're gonna uncover 50 episodes down the line. I don't want to set you up for disappointment. <laughs> it's it's just what? it's just the name I came up with on the spot. Yeah, I, can't um, believe it. I know. I, I just I just wanted to be to be sure. Uh, but you mean Clark
3: Bart doesn't have a whole? Uh there's no, no hero yeah, origin. origin.
4: Right. Wait, you mean Caspian uh, isn't actually a prince?
3: <laughs> there, was that, there was that brief hope.
4: Mm-hmm. There, there brief was that brief hope. there was that brief emotion that probably went through the king's brain when you said that, where he was like. I know this got My these, son? this group just saved me. But like do I play along or do I have this guy Mm -hmm. thrown in jail?
1: Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, so I want to emphasize that point that Clark Bart was made up in the moment because the whole thing with my fair lizard folk, which yes, it's it's for the most part, it's just a pun on my fair lady. Have any of you seen My Fair Lady? No. I haven't had the
3: pleasure, unfortunately.
1: (laughs) I was was curious if anyone had seen My Fair Lady. Because this is why I'm crazy. My Fair Lady... (laughs) Just (laughs) this? No, but I
0: haven't revealed a lot of the other stuff yet.
1: Got him. (laughs) My Fair Lady is the story, it is a play, about a woman... From the lower end of society. She is, you know, she is poor. Who a... Two rich men get into an argument. And they make a wager. That one of the men can take her. And... Make her proper for society. Uh... You know, more more suitable for the upper class. And convince others of that class. That she is... Uh... One of them, as it were. Uh... And so they take on the bet and he sort of introduces her into that upper echelon, the the upper class and hijinks ensue. Um, and it's a it's a heavy commentary on sort of the roles of that time and the perceptions of the class systems, um, which wouldn't you know, it is also a major focus of this city. Mm -hmm. So the whole play of My Fair Lizard Folk in which you have this Lizard Folk soldier who was essentially penniless before the war and is then uh, because of his newfound status is sort of brought into this upper echelon and is being introduced to these people but he doesn't really uh he doesn't really gel with them not only on the basis that you know he comes from a very different background but also because of uh very real racial tension between uh, the people of that class and the lizard folk, because in this world, lizard folk are considered lesser people. Uh, It is meant to be just like this direct mirror of what's happening in the city. So when we had that moment, all up in the upper balcony and I think it was Silva. I'm trying to remember who exactly it was. I think it was Silva who got the, the high enough role that you essentially had this sort of insight into how each of these people were perceiving the play and what they took away from it, and how that related to uh, how they viewed the world itself. How Cassowary was obsessed with everything around the play because he was an architect and he's really proud of his ancestor's work, on the building itself and the stage and how um Sander Toxley was very focused on the main character on the lead because of his shared soldier background and that very uh similar connection that he has of being in this different social status than than he was before um and so on and so forth um this whole crazy thing was meant to be just like a way of giving you guys a peek into this world and into this lifestyle again without expressly having the characters just be like well we're rich so we're better than the poor people and you know certain certain people aren't as good as we are and and so on um it's just my my blanket refusal to just tell a story like a normal person would and instead be like, let me, let me use another element within this to actually describe everything. Um, I want to, before we wrap up here, because there's still a fair bit of the campaign that we're sort of heading towards, uh, I am curious, because from this point on, everything happens at the Velvet Curtain, we do end up going south, we go to the king's forest, we encounter spiders um, I will make sure that we do not encounter spiders to that degree in this campaign again uh another great example of lessons the DMs have to learn, which is that you want to make sure that you know exactly what it is that the players are okay with and what they're not okay with um Silva just a quick point of order uh, I had it on the table that for a certain roll that you made, if you had gotten a nat 20 on uh, your connection to the Fey would have been so strong in that moment that you would have opened a portal and the bear that you all had saved in the forest that came back and fought against the spider would have been transported through the portal and would have been aiding you in the fight again. <laughs> Uh, I had I had that set up as an option from the get go, and the bear was one of those things where I just wholesale ripped off Resident Evil Four, and was like, <laughs> <laughs>
2: save the dog. because
1: because because you have the dog where the dog you save the dog and then later when you're fighting El Gigante the dog comes back and helps you wholesale ripped that off. I wanted to have an opportunity. It's like here's a bear caught in a trap. If you guys save. free the bear, it's going to come back and help you later. Otherwise, it doesn't. Save the um, dog, save the world. Save the dog, save the world. Exactly. John Wick. Uh, John Wick. So, that was that was one of those things where it was like, again, I love just setting things up and putting them off to the side. And then if you engage with them, that's great. If you don't, it's whatever. But I, re- I just... I'm a weirdo and I refuse to just tell a traditional story even in the confines of a tabletop RPG because I, I really focus on like these specific things and I go like let me span this out as much as possible and have that tell the story for me instead of me just like you know asking for a history check and then me telling you the full history of how the city runs and how it works and how everything is connected um, I want to address combat in general because when we when we went through the King's Forest, you guys didn't do a traditional form of combat. Uh, we did something very different, where you guys were kind of actively moving through and more so trying to avoid direct conflict as opposed to engaging in it. Um, that was a result of me very seriously looking at 5e as a system and knowing that combat in a lot of forms takes a long time to go through and for the purposes of this part of the story i didn't want you guys to be spending three or four sessions just getting through this forest uh on the traditional rules of 5e combat... and approaching everything one at a time... and, you know, just kind of going through... it kind of harkens back to the whole... I I don't want to put you in a position where it's just like... okay, go kill 10 boars... and then collect your reward with the Guildmaster. Almost every combat session you've done... I've tried to do something to change it up in some way... because... I like a lot of elements about 5e but i think combat in general can be one of its weaker points uh, specifically in pacing and as we've established the pacing of this game has ballooned out far greater than i ever expected it to be um so i plan to continue sort of you know with future combat sessions i want to kind of do unique things and try different different ways of approaching it in the future but I also want to know explicitly from you guys if you would prefer for them to stay more in the traditional line of D&D combat um, or if you're okay with us kind of continuing to try like different things as we go.
4: I'm definitely on board with uh, trying new things. I do enjoy traditional d combat, so like I don't want to move entirely away from it. Um, but I do, I do enjoy the, the, you know, change-ups that we've had where it's like, okay, well, let's try something new. This is something that, you know, we're not necessarily that we've done before. So it's, you know, it's a novel experience, even if we don't do it again, moving forward, like it's still an experience and we can work towards kind of figuring out what we as a group and what you as the DM, like really want to, how we want to address combat moving forward. Mm-hmm. Anyone else?
2: Yeah, I mean, I'm always into doing different things. Um, I mean, obviously, inherently, I think... You know, obviously, from a familiarity standpoint... You know, there's only, obviously, so much that'll be changed anyway. Um... So, I mean, like, I'm very into the idea, though, of... Obviously, always expanding and looking into unique and interesting... You know, um... Like options and variations and stuff like that.
3: Mm-hmm. Um, I want more phalanxes. Gotcha. I just want to see one phalanx. That's okay. all I ask for. Maybe, maybe like an archery line at some point. Yeah, it okay. could be us. It could be someone else. I, I mean, just you want. Know, D&D a phalanx. D phalanx
2: has the inherent factor of uh, you can have a shield that's this big a shield that's Uh this big or a shield (laughs) the size of you but they're all the Mm. same
1: they're all the same shield just like how uh, Caspian has a giant definitely not buster sword uh, but it has a lot of the properties of a sword that is much smaller because I wasn't going to give him just like a completely broken weapon right from the get go he's not even a character uh,
4: <laughs> he's not. He's, his real name is Clark Bart. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, no, I got Cl- you.
1: Clark Bart. Clark Bart Investigations. You know, yeah, we, <laughs> we gotta stay stay focused on that. Uh, okay, We're We're running over time. We're running over time. So I, there's one more thing that I want, guys, uh, before we wrap the night off. Um, so next week we are gonna return back. Uh, it'll be the start of a new arc. Technically, we're going to still be in the city of Rote uh, because you all as a group are going to have kind of a major decision to, to make as far as where, which of the two main options you want to take or if you want to take option C, which is go anywhere. Um, and there are a couple of you who have some things that you would like to wrap up, some loose ends, some people you need to talk to, uh, obviously, in order to make that decision possible. Um, So we're not going to rush you out of that. We're going to still give you the option to do that. For tonight, uh, I need you all to do me a favor. Okay, so you're going to take your left hand, you're going to raise it up. All three of you. Yep. And then you're going to take your right hand, raise that up as well. So you've got both hands raised. Alright. Now you're going to cross both of your arms like this. Keep them held tight. (laughs)
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Do not move them from that point. Keep them like they are. It's quiz time. (laughs) So here's what's going to happen. You cannot access your phones, your internet, your computer in any way. Oh, this post makes sense now. Because I am going to quiz you all. You will have five minutes to try to answer as many questions correctly as you can. Damn, oh god. Merlin. If you fail to answer a certain number of questions, which I'm not going to tell you, uh, something extremely bad is going to happen to your party. Oh, fuck. (laughs) If you succeed, all of you get an additional ten hit points I don't mean temporary. I mean you get an additional 10 hit points, period. Ooh. Yeah. And <laughs> you get two platinum apiece. Hey. That's 20 gold.
2: <laughs> I haven't used the six that I have.
1: <laughs> like I say, it's not temp. It's This is for realsies. You get to keep them. <sighs> so you're going to have five minutes. Uh you can skip a question if you want to but there's only going to be so many questions and you don't know how many Uh, you can all confer with each other and if somebody has thinks they have the answer you're going to want to go honk and then that'll be the buzzer to tell me that you're ready to give your answer gotcha (laughs)
0: like
1: I say you're, you're able to confer with each other no problem with that you just can't use any outside resources no google no computer no phone why don't you put your hand back? <laughs>
2: <laughs> I just had my to push him.
1: What's that hand doing? What that <laughs> hand doing? <laughs> All right, everybody ready? No. Sure. But go on. Three, two, one. I hate you. Go. First question. Which of the character alignment options in the Dungeons & Dragons basic rules is missing here? Chaotic? Lawful? Good, evil, and blank. Neutral. Neutral. Well,
2: honk.
4: honk. That, Neutral. Is, that is correct. <laughs> that is correct. Make sure you honk, though. Gotta make sure you honk. Well, okay. I mean, I was—that wasn't a answer. It was a conference with everyone else, and then we okay. would honk and answer. Yeah. Fair enough. Fair enough.
1: That's I fair. jumped the gun.
4: Okay. Uh,
1: we jumped the honk. This is an Eberron-specific question. Okay. Oh God. In Eberron the mark of sentinel helps the humans of house Deneath run the sentinel marshals a law enforcement group with no boundary which nation did they originate in uh okay we it could be i have
3: no nation,
2: clue. i believe the i mean i think the nation is um whatever the fuck we're, on, we're in now it's escaping me Corvair. no it's a fucking continent uh, fuck you're right uh, no, the one we're in now uh, that starts with the B. Uh,
3: Breland, Breland.
2: Yeah, I believe they're from Breland.
3: I mean, I can't think of any other ones. Honestly, yeah, yeah. Because, okay, uh, well, do do we want to answer that then? Sure, uh, right. Kevin, Kevin, you get the honors. Honk, Breland.
1: That is incorrect. The uh, answer was Carnath. Ah, uh,
3: fuck now. you. Do you know that was a place?
1: Yeah, I. Well, we know we're timed, We've Dylan. Been able to let's do go. All this
2: exploring.
1: Next question: What ninth level spell, which has appeared in every edition of D anD D, allows magic users to do pretty much anything? All right, this is the wish spell, so right, guys? Go with
2: the wish, probably. Yeah, so wish. We'll go with the. We'll go with the honk and say wish.
1: That is correct. All right. Uh, here's a here's a good one. What is the name of the five-headed dragon that is a frequent D&D villain? Oh, come on. TMA, I know this. Hawk,
3: yeah. yeah Tiamat.
1: All right. That is correct. Okay. Uh, it took
3: too long to respond
1: back and I got worried. I know. <laughs> Don't worry. I'm not counting in against your time. Uh, strength, dexterity, intelligence, wisdom, charisma. What's missing? Hog. Constitution. That is correct next question reincarnate and raise dead are both 5th level spells that can bring a dead character back to life what is the most crucial difference between these spells in dungeons and dragons Uh, oh oh, go ahead
2: reincarnate does not specify whether or not you uh, return as what you were
1: can you elaborate on that a little bit as
3: in the species say you were originally
2: yeah as a spe like you're not the species that you or it doesn't guarantee that you're the species that you were.
1: I'm gonna I'm gonna take it. I'll allow it. Raise dead revives the character's original body while reincarnate restores their soul to a new healthy body. Mm-hmm. Uh, you get roll on the table for it. It's fun. The measure of a character's current health in D and D is called what?
3: Okay, this could be just hit points. Overall hit points okay, is yeah, what just I'm say, thinking. Just say yeah. Points. Okay, Honk, hit points.
1: That is correct. I was overthinking it. It's a weirdly phrased question. It really is. That's why I was overthinking it. In Dungeons & Dragons, the figurines often used in conjunction with the game are now largely made of plastic or pewter. Pewter figurines replaced what other type?
2: This reminds me. Franny, I left my tiny... My little little mini in, in your car.
3: That's true. Yeah, I think I did find it. I need to give it back to you. Sure. Wouldn't it be tin if I remember correctly, guys?
2: I have no idea.
0: Because um, your guess is I as just, good just as mine.
2: I know were colloquially just like nomenclature, which is metal. So
0: right, yeah. Uh, that's, I
2: don't know if it was that tin is true.
3: Or not. I am thinking like tin soldiers in that in that space. I don't think it's lead because lead would be
4: bad. Uh, we, we put a lead in a lot of things. We do put lead yeah, in a but lot of things. The,
2: a total, like a a lead like paint soldier early. would have been very clearly problematic, like immediately. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah.
4: Go go ahead and answer that, for any Okay, Hulk. Let's go with tin. My good man. That is but, incorrect. It sh- was lead. It was lead. what the fuck? Ah, <laughs> oh, damn it.
1: Okay, do Dun- Okay, Dungeons and Dragons. We know it. We love it. Um there's actually two main types of dragons metallic and blank honk chromatic that is correct yeah Kevin
3: I
2: forgot the third type of dragon
3: right oh my god how could you forget the gem dragons are you even a fan guys guys
1: (laughs) one gold piece (laughs) in this game a gold galifar equals how many copper pieces in game uh,
2: I always do this uh, math wrong, it's
1: 100 though uh, it? it is 100, yes Because it—that is correct. That is uh, correct, it is 100 Okay, technically it did say honk. Oh, so, oh, okay, cool Alright, minute and a half left, you guys ready? Yep. Yeah Alright Three square windows <laughs> God damn it I told myself I wouldn't laugh and I did it anyway <laughs> Three square windows Can be seen in the back of this painting And the back of a chair takes up Its lower center portion the central figure is wearing red and blue with his hands on a table to his right is an effeminate figure believed to be Apostle John Judas clutches a bag of silver in what Leonardo da Vinci painting that depicts Christ's final meal with his disciples <laughs> this is the last supper right yes. guys <laughs> uh, yeah the yeah. last supper I said honk sorry
2: somebody
1: honk Yeah, honk, the last supper. That is correct. This is Marshall Erasure. The law (laughs) of these objects states that the torque on one side is equal to the torque on the other side. Name these simple machines, familiar examples of which include a wheelbarrow and a seesaw. I have
4: no
3: fucking clue.
4: The law of lever. It's is it a, is it a lever or is it a? Uh, well, you honked. Is it Newton's laws of motion? Well, no. It's the the object, like the.
2: Yeah, he's asking about the name of the object.
4: Oh, uh, yeah. Just go with a lever. Yeah, I mean, I honked. I yeah. said it anyways, I already but he said
2: honk lever. So,
4: okay, honk lever is correct. Okay. Oh fuck yeah! Ooh.
1: Next question. <clears throat> This artist credits producer Aaron Dessner on 11 songs in an album, which also contains a teenage love triangle. This artist gained fame through albums like 1989 and Red, and Exile and Cardigan appear on her album Folklore. Name this artist who sang You Need to Calm Down and Lover. This is Taylor Swift.
3: Is it Taylor Swift? Oh, is it, it T Swift? I
2: Red. That would be, yeah, that was her album.
3: Yeah, okay, honk.
1: It's uh, Taylor Swift, also known as T Swift. Correct, it is T-Swift. Very good. Next question. Rescue Team DX is a remake of the original in this franchise's Mystery Dungeon series. Honk Sword and Shield. That is correct. That. <laughs> I'm intimately familiar with the Mystery Dungeon games. Thank God you are. Next question. Uh, 30 seconds left. This man's Fifth Symphony Begins with a short, 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 long motif. You're, a f- I fucking. One of this man's piano pieces begins by alternating E and D sharp. That work is Fur Elise. Name the composer. Fur Elise isn't that Mozart?
0: Yes. Yeah, uh. Because it's French.
1: Okay.
3: Yeah. Go for Beethoven. it, Honk, uh, Mozart.
1: That is incorrect.
3: That is Ludwig Beethoven. Beethoven.
1: It was Fuck. Beethoven. Fucking you know shit. Those are those are the French. two that I
3: was. Those was are the, the two that I was yeah. between.
1: Is
0: Mozart and Beethoven. So.
1: <laughs> Next question. Hurry In up. this country, an annual red crab migration takes place on Christmas Island. This country's state of Queensland contains the Great Barrier Reef it's and dinghies and cockatoos. Long Australia. That is correct. Okay.
3: You said Queensland. I'm like wait, I know that.
1: Long yeah. Sorry. All right. Final two questions. Here we go. What was unique about the Dungeons and Dragons Second Edition Monstrous Compendium? Ah, oh, oh. fuck! I think I know this.
3: Uh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna shoot a guess, guys. Yeah, go ahead. Go uh, you said Second Edition Monstrous yeah. Compendium. compendium yeah. Second Edition. Fuck. Uh, a honk. It was the first one to use that go. I'm
1: afraid that's incorrect. I'm sorry. Okay. Uh okay. the the books were three-ring binders that allowed players to add additional monster pages as they were released. Oh, uh, that's yeah. so, so it interesting. Be, so
2: it would be part of the that's... monsters campaign. Yeah, so that would have nothing. Yeah, to
1: that's go. pretty sick. All right. Final question. Patricia Poling started an entire organization that opposed Dungeons and Dragons. What was it called?
2: Oh there. Oh the my god. One? Is this like the organization?
1: Yeah. What is the name of the organization that that Patricia Poling started? Oh, is not the Oh fuck. Uh
3: Moms Against D&D. No, it, it was, be, uh... uh like, cause
2: it couldn't be mad. Yeah, it couldn't be, like, mad like that. Oh.
3: Uh, Maybe it was,
2: like, fucking ruining it, but...
3: Darkest Dungeons?
2: That's the name of the piece.
3: Fuck. Uh... Fuck. Lords and Saviors?
4: No, it's... Uh... Fuck. Because they they wouldn't have used the name in, uh, in the title because that would be like acknowledging it. It was like, it's like something. It had something to do with like being Christian. I I'm pretty sure.
0: Uh, The Holy Games.
4: No, like it had like Christians. Like it's something against something. Like. Christians against
2: roleplay? Yeah,
1: let's fucking say Chris, that. Sure. Yeah. Let's. Oh, <laughs> yeah, go ahead. Just yeah. okay. I we going have anything
2: that's concrete.
3: Honk. Is it Christians against roleplay in honk. games? It's... <laughs> <laughs> I'm tell afraid. Me, just tell me it's wrong.
1: That is incorrect. Just, just yeah. Okay. It's wrong. We know that's it's what was it? Please you don't were, tell me I actually You said were it. you were closer than you thought you were. Yeah. But what what is it? You mentioned Mad Mothers Against Drunk Driving. Patricia Pulling started an organization known as Bad. Bad. Bothered about Dungeons and Dragons.
0: Really? <laughs> really? Yep. Exactly That's not clever bad. at all. <laughs> Would it Jesus. Jesus.
4: Just and just bothered. Like you bothered. create this whole organization just because you're bothered. bothered. That's such a very like low impact word to use. What a bother. God. What, a bother. Oh, man. Oh, bother. what a bother. Oh bother. I could bother. go for a smackerel oh, funny.
3: I'll be- oh, speaking of which, Kevin, you look like that one YouTuber that uh does those really great impressions of like poo and <laughs> Uh, Rick from Brock Rick Baker, and Morty. that's the one.
0: There's a similarity. No so. I can kind of see it. Um, how do we do? Dylan? So here's the deal. I
1: could tell you how you did. Oh, you're gonna
0: hold I feel it like deep. we did pretty. Big. Oh, you
3: cock.
1: Or (laughs) wow, (laughs) wow! I oh okay. Well then, I'm I'm definitely not going to tell you now. I'm Um, um,
3: I'm sorry. I'm sorry.
0: Um, or y'all can roll for it. Um, just a
1: random uh, roll. (laughs) So all three of you are going to roll a D twenty. Uh, you collectively need to beat the number. Thirty. I'm gonna say you gotta beat thirty as a group. Okay, guys. All right. Here we go. Ready? Oh,
2: I got a dog to let out.
3: Bro, I have a dog and my ass needs to come out. I need to take a (laughs) shit. Jesus. (laughs) Oh I didn't do great boys.
2: Okay, well I have a twenty, so
3: I have a four, I think. No, that's a seven. A seven, (laughs) twenty (laughs) seven. We didn't make it.
4: You roll a one. what you get? It. I rolled a natural one.
0: God damn it. Damn it. <laughs>
4: God damn it. I, I knew so I shouldn't have you. used this dice. This die has been rolling fucking terribly. I put away my other ones though
2: I did this I did this for you and this is how you repay me.
4: <laughs> my so other so nine. So let's
1: so let's recap. So I established multiple times this evening throughout the conversation that I as a person like to fixate on very specific things and I like to plant elements. And I will sometimes go to the trouble of building up really complicated structures just to hit a simple solution. So let's take tonight, for example. My goal tonight was to get somebody to roll a natural one. So the way I did that is that I made up a quiz game on the spot and then... I had you guys go through the trouble of playing the quiz game and then had you guys roll at the end to see whether or not you passed or succeeded instead of just telling you right away. So now, next time on Dragon Mark Symphony, uh, Roger all of us will media. be reconvening and we are going to find out what the results of that natural one were. Uh, so until then, Thank you all for watching. Thank you all for playing and for dealing with my madness. Of course. And we'll see you all next time. If you're the red, take care.
0: Uh, don't you don't you say that right before we leave. <laughs>